0: Thanks, you guys. Hey, good evening. How's everybody doing? Well, I think I got more energy than all you guys combined. I intend to fix that. Hey, I don't know if you've had a good week. I hope and pray that you have had an amazing week. And I don't know what the highlight of your week might have been, but if this doesn't top it, something's wrong. Right? I think the Lord is just I know God is incredibly blessed and honored when. When we gather together as a church family to worship Him collectively, to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be the church that He died for, it pleases our Lord that we do this. And I hope this is the highlight of your week. I know it is for me. I love Saturday night. I just love Saturday night. I love doing this with you. Thank you so much. We are in the book of Nehemiah, if you didn't know. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6. And I'm really, really excited about this chapter. It really gave me a chance to reflect on just what God's doing in my own life as, as a leader um, and as a follower of, of the Lord. You know, we love the Lord's Word because it's a chance for us to hear from the Lord and, and the encouragements and the love and the concern and the compassion that He has for us and But prior to doing that, we have an opportunity to worship, which gives us an opportunity to express things to Him. Instead of just hearing from Him, it allows Him to hear from us. So I hope you don't take worship lightly as something we do to get to the Word. It's a way to express our gratitude and our joy of being His children. Okay, so we're in Nehemiah chapter 6. Next week, I need you to do a little homework. You need to read chapter 7 and 8. We're going to cover 7 and 8 next week. Weren't you supposed to do that initially, Pastor Dave? I don't know how you, you know, pass that off to me, but brilliantly done, sir. <laughs> brilliantly done. Um, Nehemiah 7 and 8. It's a total of 91 verses. Um, if I read all 91 verses, we're just going to be done. So um, we're not going to do that in in service like we normally do. I like to read the whole chapter, but we've got two chapters, a lot of stuff going on. So if you could, please read Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8 in preparation for next week. Ah, this is so cool, man. This is just so cool. God loves that we're here. He loves that you guys are here. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale reported on a visit that he had with former President Herbert Hoover. It is said that President Hoover's Christian faith and practice were commendable. During their conversation, the popular preacher asked this question. He said, Mr. President, can you state in one sentence the secret of your success in life? And quickly, the president answered this way. He said, with the help of God, I never gave up. With the help of God, I never gave up. That probably speaks to most people in this room. That with the help of God, we just don't give up. The enemy wants us to give up. And we need God's help not to give up. With the help of God, I never gave up. What a great encouragement to us. In his book, the book was called Starting Over. Chuck Swindoll, you may know that name, used to be the pastor of E.V. Free in Fullerton, a big church which is just a few blocks from my home. He's now the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. In his book, Starting Over, Chuck Swindoll wrote about uh, his boyhood vacations at his grandfather's cottage near the Gulf in South Texas. Mr. Coates, the cook, was friendly and unique. And while barbecuing one day, the chatty, hired hand, after sharing some of the ups and downs of life, knelt down to the child's height and said, Little Charles, the hardest thing about life is that it is so daily. Isn't that a good word? You know, we get through the day and we're like, oh my goodness, I'm just so glad this day is through. It was hard. And perhaps we felt the enemy was on the prowl and trying to attack us, and we we go to bed and we're just so grateful that we got through the day. And then we wake up the next morning and we think, i got to do it again? Yeah, you got to do it again. And like President Hoover said, with the help of God, We never give up. This speaks into what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 6. I did this last week. I'll do it again. I'm going to give you a real quick recap. We're just going to add a chapter because we did chapter 5 last week. In chapter 1, while Nehemiah is in Persia, it's brought to his attention that things back home in Jerusalem aren't so good. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire, chapter 1 says. In chapter 2, Nehemiah gets permission from the king, King Artaxerxes, to go back and to rebuild the walls and the gates. In chapter 3, we saw all kinds of people, right? This is a picture of the church, if you remember, from a few weeks ago in chapter 3. We saw all kinds of people from all kinds of professions, which is what we have here, right? Doing all kinds of projects to repair the broken down city. In chapter 4, Pastor Dave introduced us to the Bummer Brothers, Sanballat and Tobiah, who were furious and they mocked the Jews and they did everything to discourage God's work from progressing. And then last week in chapter 5, Nehemiah encounters perhaps the most difficult kind of problem that every spiritual leader has to face and that's problems from inside the church or from within inside God's followers. And so, so far, the enemy has tried to attack the Jews externally, that's chapter 4. And internally, that's chapter 5 last week. But neither attack so far has brought success. And so, what do they do in chapter 6? They go after the leader, Nehemiah himself. The enemy can do much harm when leaders fail. The enemy can do a lot of damage when leaders fail. Leaders of families, the enemy's having a field day. When men aren't leading their homes spiritually, when divorce is rampant, the enemy takes down a lot of things that go along with that. Leaders of families, leaders of businesses, leaders of churches, and leaders of organizations, and it makes news because so much damage happens. And we love watching damage, don't we? Let's read Nehemiah chapter 6 together. It's, I think, 19 verses, I think. Yes, 19 verses. Same as last week. Hey, who knew? Nehemiah chapter 6. Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message saying, Come, let us meet together at Shepharim in the plain of Ono but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And so they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way each of those four times. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand which was more threatening. It says, because letters were sealed, right, with wax and a signet ring, right? And so an open letter would say, hey, man, everybody knows about what's going on in this letter. It was a threatening gesture. In it was written this, it is reported among the nations. This, this, <laughs> this, this is just, like, right, this is just human life, right? It is reported, sure. It is reported among the nations, and Gashmu, who is the same guy as Geshem in verse 1, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, therefore you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. Really? You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying this, such things as you are saying have not been done. You are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said this. He said, hey, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple? He's not a priest, he's a governor. Can I go into the temple to save his life? I will not do it. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Man, this is a great movie, isn't it? He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. And he says at the end of this stanza, Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs. And also, Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. Wow. So the wall was completed, our third stanza, on the 25th of the month of Elul. Uh, in 52 days, 52 days, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Praise be to God. Also, it's kind of these weird last three verses. It's like he makes this little, like you know, fine print side note. Also, in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah, my own people to Tobiah this enemy and Tobiah's letters came to them for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah the son of Arah and his son Johanan had married the daughter of Meshulam the son of Berechiah moreover they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him and then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me they even married within their own enemies which they weren't supposed to do And so Nehemiah is just saying, man, I was getting hit from all kinds, from my own, they were coming after me personally, and then even they got into the ranks of our own people. Let me give you this quote from Warren Wiersbe, and then we're going to pray. Warren Wiersbe says this, he says, people in places of spiritual leadership not only have the pressures that all leaders face, but they must also battle an infernal enemy who is a master deceiver and a murderer. Satan comes either as a serpent who deceives or a lion who devours. And Christian leaders must be alert and spiritually equipped to oppose him. It behooves God's people to pray earnestly, not only for those in civil authority, but also for those in places of spiritual authority. If Satan can defeat a Christian leader, he can cripple a whole ministry and discredit the cause of Christ. I know many of you pray for us leaders at this church. Please keep doing so, please. I beg you, please. We need it so, so badly. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are um, just so grateful to be here to explore through your Word collectively so that we can learn about you and learn about your people and how we too, like Nehemiah, can respond steadfast, firm, strong, faithfully, trusting you. While we do Your work, help us, would You, Lord, please. Have Your way with us. It's in Your name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Let me give you the outline for the three stanzas. In verses 1 through (laughs) 9, the power is out. Right? you got these powerful people, but they're not getting anything accomplished because Nehemiah is so focused and so trusting God and looking to God for all things. And this is a little play on words, right? I think it's cute. The prophets are down, right? Sales are down, profits are down, the profits are down. That's a good thing <laughs> in our context. And that's verses 10 through 14. And then the plan has failed. They've built that wall, they finished it in 52 days, which I think is absolutely remar- remarkable. When God's people can focus on God's power, we can just kick some butt. We can kick some butt, man. Right? So, our first stanza, the power is out. Let's... Reread verses 1 through 9 of Nehemiah chapter 6. Verses 1 through 9. When it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained, although I hadn't set up the doors and gates, then Sanballat and Geshem, they sent a message to me. Okay, now I'm going to pause there. Go back to chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verse 10. Let's remind ourselves what Nehemiah already knows to be true about these um, clowns, if you will, these powerful people. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that they were going to rebuild the wall, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel, they were very displeased. Look at verse 19, also of chapter 2. When Sinballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, official, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what are you doing? You're rebelling against the king. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 of Nehemiah. It came about when Sinballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry. I'm not sure the difference there. Right? I'm furious and I'm very angry. Wow, that must be bad. And they mocked the Jews, mocking God's people for being obedient to what God commanded them to do and and provided for them to do. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. Now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, they were very angry. And so go back to chapter 6. Let's pick up in verse 2. So, Sanballat and Geshem, they send a message saying, hey, let's hang out, right? Like, oh, sure, no problem. Like, come on, man. And I'm telling you, we we think that's funny. Man, church, sometimes we do that. We let our guard down for a fraction of a second. The enemy just keeps coming after us and keeps coming after us. He's just a little nicer about it, and then we give in. So they say, hey, let's hang out together about 25 miles away in the plain of Ono so they can get Nehemiah alone, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers saying, I, I'm not, I'm, I cannot come down. Well, you know, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing the Lord's work. Why would I hang out with guys like you? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times in the same way, and I answered the same way. Then he sent a servant in the fifth time with an open letter. And it says that you are planning to rebel. You're rebuilding the wall. You're going to be their king according to these reports. And it's been prophesied that God's going to raise up a king in Judah. Well, that's true, but it wasn't Nehemiah. It was Christ who was going to come later. And now it will be reported to the, to the king according to these reports. The very king that knows and trusts Nehemiah, he was the king's cupbearer. And so now let us take counsel together. <laughs> right? And so I sent a message saying, such things that you are saying have not been done, but you're inventing them in your own mind. Gosh, the the lies that we believe from the enemy, the lies that we believe, for all of them were trying to frighten us, trying to discourage us with the work so that it would not be done. And he said, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Not only is he discerning, but he knows where to turn. And he just says, God, continue to strengthen me. Even though I'm kicking butt, even though we're building the wall, continue to strengthen me. What a great picture. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were powerful people in the province of Samaria that likely ruled over the Judean province where Jerusalem was located. And so even though they were powerful, (laughs) there was two kings that were more powerful than them. King Artaxerxes, who gave them permission, and then the Lord God Almighty, who orchestrated everything. So they indeed were people of power, these men, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they created nothing but problems. These people of power created nothing but problems. But Nehemiah had a proper perspective. You have people with power creating problems. That's, That's just life. There will be people in your life, people of power creating problems. But Nehemiah had a proper perspective. With perspective, like Nehemiah, we can wipe out the power of the enemy. With perspective, we can endure the problems of the enemy. With perspective, we can live life victoriously because we are not focused on powerful people, but on the powerful person of our God, like Nehemiah. Nehemiah is just a butt kicker, man. He's not a priest. He's not a scribe. He's a governor. He's an employee, just like you, just like most of us in this room. Look at verse 9 at the end of our stanza, this stanza, verses 1 through 9. He says, For all them were trying to frighten us, thinking, they'll become discouraged with the work that they're accomplishing, and it will not be done. But now God strengthen us. When we lose perspective, when we lose, when we get our eyes off the Lord and we lose perspective, we can become frightened and discouraged. That's what they were trying to do in verse nine. When we lose perspective, you and I can become frightened and discouraged and not finish what the Lord has called us to do. That's what they were trying to do. They were this close to finishing. Or they were Yeah, they finished in this chapter. They were trying to discourage the work from being finished. God's called us to work. He's called us, each of us, all of us, to certain things. And the enemy is going to try to discourage us and frighten us so that we will not finish. I'm sure many of us have things that we can recall, if we've walked with the Lord for any period of time, that we wish we would have seen through, that we perhaps gave up on because we were frightened or discouraged, and then we gave up. Nehemiah trusted God for the power He gave to the enemy. The enemy has some power. These men, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they had power, and Nehemiah trusted God because God's sovereign. He trusted God for the power He gave to the enemy. But he especially trusted God for the power he gave to himself, to Nehemiah. You get that? He says, in in the end of verse 9, Oh God, strengthen my hands. They're trying to discourage us. They're trying to frighten us. They're powerful people. But I'm going to turn to you, God, for your power, for your strength. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read just the the middle part of it. The end of 1, the beginning of 2. That we are to run. Let us run. Church, let us run with endurance. <laughs> the race that is set before us. God has set a path for us to race. Each one of us. The race, to, the, the path, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on on Jesus. Because he is the author and the perfecter of how we're going to do that. That means we, wh- whatever we, God's called us to, whatever path we're on, we just fix. We fix. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Because the minute we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, we're in trouble. It's that fierce. He's given all of us a race to run. But we must fix our eyes on Jesus. And I would venture to say that some of us are fixing our eyes on some very disastrous stuff. Oftentimes, when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we fix our eyes on some very disastrous stuff, both figuratively and literally, some of the things that we're fixing our eyes on, men, is disastrous. This scenario is very telling of Nehemiah's character, this chapter 6. Very telling of his character, his righteousness, and his trust. That's what I love about Nehemiah. This scenario, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says this, that they were planning to harm me. Verse 2, the end of it says, but they were planning to harm me. In the midst, if you understand where we're at in the story, in the midst of progress, right? They're making tremendous progress rebuilding the walls. In the midst of progress, in the midst of progress, success for the lord in the midst of obedience in the midst of faithfulness in the midst of sacrifice in the midst of humility they're trying to harm him that must have been hard i think that would have been hard for nehemiah perhaps even hurtful or confusing to say lord i'm i'm doing everything you've asked me to do and yet they're trying to they're trying to wipe me out Obedience sometimes is just that way. And so then it becomes confusing almost. Like, God, I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. Why the hardship? And yet, as I said, this speaks to his character. We don't see him blame or question or doubt the Lord. We don't see that from Nehemiah. He just keeps fixing his eyes on the Lord. He doesn't doubt, he doesn't question, he doesn't blame. He doesn't say, why me? He just keeps to working and remains faithful. So the bad guys, the Bummer Brothers, and that Geshem guy, Geshem the, Geshem the Arab, they sent Nehemiah a letter five times. And Nehemiah, all five times, provided a good and logical response every time. But they just kept sending the letters. They kept on attacking. That's what you see. It's like, come on, man. They kept on attacking. And so I ask you, when the enemy keeps on attacking in your life, does your resolve grow like Nehemiah's? Or or does your resolve deteriorate? Does it diminish? When the enemy keeps coming after you, man, do you you hunker down? Do you fight back? Do you get mad a little bit? Does your resolve grow like Nehemiah's? Or, Or do you start to cave in a little bit and just say, I can't, I can't, I can't do it? In verse 3, Nehemiah asks an amazingly powerful and thought-provoking question in verse 3. He says, why should the work stop? Why should the work stop? The enemy will do whatever he can to get us to say, this is why the work should stop and we we need to hunker down and say why why should the work stop why should the work stop there's gonna be lots of things coming at us and we like Nehemiah should say why should the work stop I've said this many times if we're still here it's because the work is not done and so God is saying to us church why why should the work stop why should the work stop Do you and I recognize the work that the Lord is doing both in us and through us? Do you recognize that? I do. I'm, 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 becoming very, I'm very clear that the work that the Lord is doing in me and through me. And there are times, I suppose like you, where it gets hard, and you think, man, I don't know if I can keep going. And, he, and then he says, why should the work stop? Why should the work stop? What tactics does Satan use successfully on you to stop the work that you are or should be doing? What tactics does Satan use successfully on you to stop the work you are doing or that you should be doing? Let me ask you this. Let me give you a visual. If you're on your cell phone with God, God calls you and says, hey, got a minute? First of all, you should say, yes, I do. Okay? I'm walking you through this, right? So... If you're on the cell phone with the Lord, I ask you this, in what scenario, while you're talking to God, in what scenario or scenarios would you put him on hold to take another call? If you have an example, please raise your hand, I'd love to hear it. I'm, I, I won't judge immediately. I'll delay five seconds. It, it's kind of like, oh, what, what a crazy question, right? Right? I don't think, I'm pretty sure none of us, if we're hanging out with God, right? Hey, what's going on? Okay, great. No, right? Like, oh, God, hold on a second. It's my wife calling. That's actually kind of a, that's a that, that might, that, God would say, take the call. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right? I don't think we would do that. I, I think if my wife called me and I'm on the phone with God, I'd say, honey, sorry, I was on the phone with God. I'm sure she'd be like, oh, I get it. And so the question remains, why should the work stop? When we allow a lot of things in our journey with God. It's no different than being on the cell phone with God. I, why is that a cell phone? I don't know. It, doesn't, it should be like this? How do I've got to change the, the symbol. Or Bluetooth, I don't know. It, you understand that you understand the, how problematic this is, right? We would never do it in that visual. Like most of you are going, I would never. Like you would look frightened almost when I posed the question. Like, of course, I would never do that. And yet, we live our lives that very way. God says, "Hey, I'm, I'm on. I'm on. We're, we're talking here. I'm on the phone with you. Why should the work stop, Church? Look at verse 9 of chapter 6. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking that we'd become discouraged so that we wouldn't finish the work. But he said, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. They're having success. They're having success. God's people are having success. What are you successfully accomplishing for the Lord? What are you, what am I successfully accomplishing for the Lord? Like Nehemiah, even in your success perhaps especially in your successes don't forget to ask for and rely upon the lord's strength which is how that verse ends they're having success and he says oh god but now oh god strengthen my hands almost everybody i talk to when things are going well god kind of gets kicked to the side it's just interesting how true that is of most people. Things go well. Things are going well for Nehemiah and he says, oh God strengthen my hands. You're given victory. Continue to give the victory. In verses 1 through 9, in this stanza, these men, send to Tobiah, and Geshem, they lie about wanting to have a meeting, they falsely claim that Nehemiah is planning to rebel and name himself king, but it was truth that empowered Nehemiah and empowers us in order to sift through the lies. That's life. This is just a story of life and the enemy. It's a bunch of lies in verses 1 through 9. But Nehemiah had his eyes fixed on the Lord and fixed on truth. And that's the only way we can navigate our way through this thing called life. The lies that the enemy puts out there to try to trip us up. Our second stanza, the prophets are down. Let's read verses 10 through 14 of chapter 6. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, he was confined at home and he said, hey, let's, let's go to the house of God within the temple and let us close the door of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're going to kill you at night. And I said, should a man like me flee? I'm doing God's work, man. And could one such as I, being just a governor, go into the temple to save his life? I'm not going to go in. And then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And he was hired for this reason, that I'd become frightened, that I would act according to that fright and sin that they might have an evil report, and that they could reproach me. Remember, oh my God, these men, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. The prophets are down, and that's good. It's one thing, it's one thing to be on guard for the lies and deception coming from our enemies. Now Nehemiah encounters an attack from a trusted friend. Knowing his life was in danger, which we read about in verse 2, Shemaiah must have been someone Nehemiah trusted that he would go into his house. Having access to the temple, Shemaiah was most likely a priest, a friend, a godly man. How twisted is that? The enemy's trying to attack Nehemiah using a friend, a priest, and then trying to get him into the temple. These wonderful things of God. Friendships, priestly people in the temple. But here's the reality. No no true prophet would ask someone to violate God's law. And that's what Shemiah was asking him to do. Only priests were allowed in the sanctuary. Numbers 18.7 says as much. He says, but you and your sons... You shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I'm giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Look at how verse thirteen starts. It says that this Shemiah, right, that he was hired for this reason. That I might become frightened, that I might sin, that there would be an evil report and that he could reproach me. See, it's not that the enemy merely dislikes us or hates us, which he does. That's not it. Right? He has a reason. He has a reason for what he does. A goal, if you will, a mission, an objective, or a purpose. And it's spelled out right here in verse 13. The first thing it says is that you and I would become frightened. At least that's the case in Nehemiah's story. And when we become frightened, we we don't trust God. We're scared and we start to believe the lies of the enemy. And so it says the second thing is that that I would sin. And then when we sin, there's an evil report against us and we lose our witness. And then the last thing it says, so they could reproach me so that we're discredited. And now now we're useless. We've been discredited. We can't talk to anybody. And so that was the reason The enemy knows exactly what he's doing. He has reasons for why he's attacking you and why he's attacking me. Mm. And I just love how steadfast and gracious Nehemiah is in all of this. If you remember last week, the very last verse, look at 5 verse 19. And he says, Remember me, O my God, for good. In other words, remember, Lord, all the good that I've done according to all the good that I have done for this people. Well, he does the same thing in verse 14 of chapter 6 where he says, Remember, O my God. The same way verse 19, Remember me, O my God. He says in verse 14, chapter 6, Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. Nehemiah's focus continues to be upon the Lord even when people are attacking him. Just like he says, remember me for good, Lord, remember them for their works. It's just a very tender way, I think, a loving way, in the midst of being attacked, that he just puts them before the Lord. He essentially turns his enemies over to the Lord. He doesn't try to fix them. He just turns them over to God. He doesn't slander or attack them. He entrusts his enemies to the Lord. And sometimes we're not so good at that, are we? want to talk about our enemies we want to slander our enemies but nehemiah doesn't do that he says lord you remember them for their deeds for their work remember me for my good but remember them lord and then off he goes and he gives he just always focuses on the lord whether he's talking about himself or even his enemies he goes to god our third stanza the plan has failed their plan has failed let's read verses 15 through 19 so the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding saw it they lost their confidence they recognized that this work has been accomplished with the help of our God Amen. also in in those days many letters went back and forth from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah and we already read those verses earlier I'm not going to repeat them I don't know about you, (laughs) but in light of all that takes place in these first six chapters, it seems to me that 52 days is quite remarkable for this work to be done. The enemy really ramped up his game during this short time frame. He did it externally in chapter four, he did it internally in chapter five when the people were, God's people were lending money to one another and enslaving their own people. So he did it externally in chapter 4, the enemy did. He attacked externally in chapter 4, internally in chapter 5, and personally in chapter 6 when he goes after Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was able to see, as we read through these 19 verses, Nehemiah was able to see all the schemes of the enemy. He saw them all. 1 John 4.1 encourages us the same way. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They're out there today as we speak. Test the spirits to see. You know how that. You know what that looks like? It's the only way we can do it. We've got to be immersed in God's word so that we can see God's word and see the lies of a false prophet. Somebody that's trying to trip us up. To scare us. To shame us. To discredit us. To ruin us. If we Church, if we can just remain steadfast on whatever it is, on our building project, (laughs) whatever God's doing in our lives individually and as a church or as a group of people, maybe you're doing something as, as, as a community group, whatever that looks like, if we can just remain steadfast on our building project, the 52 days will pass and the enemy will be defeated. Look how thorough God is in verse 16. When our enemies heard it, so they, they hear of the Lord, the surrounding nations saw it. So when God's at work, people hear about it and they see it. And the third thing it says is they lost their confidence. And then the last thing it says is they saw the Lord in it. See, oftentimes we don't have to proclaim anything because people aren't listening. But they'll eventually see the work of God. They'll hear the work of God. They'll lose their confidence and they'll see the hand of God in it. The world is watching us, church. They're watching us. The worst thing we can do is act in a way that contradicts what we say. Actions indeed speak much louder than our words. I just think it's a beautiful verse. And this chapter for me brings to mind a particular word. I love this word. The word relentless. Nehemiah never lost focus on what the Lord called him to do. You see that in the first six chapters. He was relentless. Nehemiah was relentless. He was relentless about the things of our Lord. Some of us are relentless. Many of us are relentless. We're just relentless for the wrong things. I have been. Nehemiah was relentless about the things of the Lord. Are we? Are we relentless about the things of God? And perhaps when we pray during the day or during the week and during the months that we can add that to our prayer life. Oh God, Holy Spirit, make me relentless for the things of you. Make my life a relentless life for the things that please you. Pray that prayer. I pray that you would be relentless for the things of God. This chapter shows us, shows us what will happen if we aren't relentless. It's mentioned three times in this chapter. Verse 9, verse 13, and verse 19. Check it out. Go to verse 9 first. For all of them were trying to frighten us. When we're not relentless, we will be scared. We will be frightened. Look at verse 13. He was hired for this reason, reason that I might become frightened. And look at verse 19, it says it again. At the very end Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. If we're not relentless, then we're going to end up being frightened. And when we're frightened it leads to sin and it leads to reproach and it discredits our witness. The enemy is relentless as well. We must be relentless. Because the enemy's relentless. Check this out. Remember when the enemy, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy? Did Jesus win or did he not win? Jesus won. Okay? And then the enemy left forever. No. Okay, just making sure you're, check out Luke 4.13. Check this out. At the very end, after Jesus was being tempted, this is when the devil had finished every temptation he left him until an opportune time. So, if he's going to come after Jesus after Jesus finished every temptation, and he's looking for an opportune time to go after Jesus again, <laughs> warning, it's coming after us as well. It's coming after us as well. Scottish minister Andrew A. Bonar says this. He says, this is so good. Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. And this is where we often fail, church. We know we're going into a battle and we're watchful, we're prayerful. And then God gives us victory and we check out. In the verse we just saw, Satan's coming after Jesus again at an opportune time. He'll do the same to you and to me. Mm. Isn't that a great quote? So I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, are you relentless? Are you relentless? Does that word resonate for you in your walk with the Lord? Are you relentless? Or are you frightened? If you're relentless, identify with that. If you're frightened, identify with that. If you're neither, if you're not if 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 I would say I'm relentless. It's not easy, but I would say I'm relentless. Oh, at times I get frightened, but man, I'm relentless. Either you're relentless or you're frightened. If neither one of those words resonated for you, perhaps you're not involved in the Lord's work at all. You get what I'm saying? If you're involved in the Lord's work, the enemy's going to try to frighten you or you're going to be relentless. If it didn't resonate for you to be frightened or to be relentless, there's a good chance you're not involved in the work. That's not good. Let me close with Psalm 57, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to invite the worship team up while I go over these verses. Psalm 57, 1 through 3 says, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. My soul takes refuge in you. I'm relentless by being found in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He, the Lord, reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Oh! I'm just so impressed by Nehemiah. I'm just so impressed by Nehemiah. It's relentless. I want to be that way too. I think you do as well. Let me pray. Almighty God, we are so grateful to be here to learn about this amazing man, Nehemiah, no different than us. But he was relentless for you, Lord. He did not want to live a frightened life and to sin and to have his name and your name be reproached. Lord, help us to be like that. Help us to learn from this man, Nehemiah. It's in your name we pray. Amen.